For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And I know Instagram was down a bit yesterday, right? I mean, it was a <laughs> it was a huge meltdown and everybody was freaking out. I can't upload my photos. I can't upload my videos. What is going on with Instagram? I mean, when Instagram goes down, the world comes to a halt, doesn't it? <laughs> and then people were sort of joking around like, why would Elon Musk do that to Instagram? <laughs> no, Instagram is owned by Mark Zuckerberg and Meta. And we know that Zuckerberg and Musk don't get along. So maybe, <laughs> maybe Musk had something to do with it. I don't think so. But Instagram is now back up and running and you can check me out there. Also on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. Also by email, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, this week we've got a number of high profile people getting into the GOP presidential primary race. Today, Senator Tim Scott has announced that he is going to seek the GOP nomination. Later in the week, maybe former Governor Chris Christie. And the one that everybody has pretty much been waiting for, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he is expected to announce perhaps on Thursday 
So on Friday on this show, we are going to take it all apart. You are going to hear it from every different direction. And yes, you guys know I am supporting uh, President Trump. But I also come to this with a very objective eye. And I think I have a pretty good sense of what's actually going on here and how it's all going to shake out. So on Friday, we're going to cover Governor DeSantis's announcement, assuming he makes one on Thursday. And we're going to take apart the entire GOP part of this presidential race. Okay, you're going to hear it maybe in ways that you haven't heard before. Um, Also, speaking of presidential primaries, we're going to talk about the Democrat side. Oh, Monica, there is no primary. It's basically, it's just Biden. He's the sitting president. He's going to be the nominee. Oh, really? Because right now we've got a couple of very interesting dynamics on that side as well. We've got RFK Jr., Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's running about 20%, maybe higher at this point, among Democrats, up against a sitting incumbent Democrat president. That's major. That's major. I would love to talk to Bobby Kennedy. Um, We're going to see, we're going to try to work on it and see if we can get him on this show. Um, Because that, that will be a very interesting conversation because I worked for President Nixon during the last years of his life. So we'll see if we can get Bobby Kennedy, but that that is going to be a fascinating conversation, okay? Um, but he is running 20, 22% against a sitting Democrat who is sitting in the White House. That is very significant. He could be sort of the Donald Trump of, of this race. Remember, Trump in 2015 and 2016 came out of nowhere. Boom, knocked everybody out. Big, substantial people. Now, yes, the sitting president is a a much more difficult kind of figure to knock out, but Kennedy's got some real traction here. So we're going to keep an eye on that. And then, of course, there is Michelle Obama, who's waiting in the wings, biding her time. Will she do it? Won't she do it? I don't know. I don't know. But it's something we've got to keep a close eye on. So we have been all over this like a cheap suit for the last year and a half. And we're going to get an update from the very first person on this issue of the possibility of Michelle, filmmaker Joel Gilbert. He was here with us last year. And he's going to join us again with a fresh update as to what's really going on with her and the Democrats. Because remember, this is not up to Joe Biden. Biden is like the clueless wonder just stumbling through life. He's the puppet. And when people say he's a puppet, nobody asks the next logical question, which is, well, who's pulling the strings? And a lot of people are like, well, it's George Soros. And yeah, all of that's true. But really, the puppet masters are Barack and Michelle. So why would you have, you know, they were willing to put up with a pale carbon copy in Joe Biden. But now that Joe Biden has really gone off the cliff, why not restore the original Obama team? After all, this is Obama's third term. They're looking for a fourth and a fifth, which they could get via Michelle. 
And again, it does us no good to put our heads in the sand and pretend that it's not happening. Oh, Monica, they've got the big Netflix deal. She just launched a kid's juice company. All of this, they're making too much money. They love their lives in Hawaii and Martha's Vineyard. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to do this again. Michelle doesn't like politics. Nonsense. That is all straight up BS. These people are communists. The only thing that they value, apart from their own money, which they don't want you to have, but apart from their own money, the only thing that they value is power. With the ideological mission of destroying this country in terms of individual liberty and economic freedom and creating a communist system, which only will benefit them, of course, like all communist systems, the vanguard So we're going to take all of this apart because I think we better be keeping a closer eye on what's going on on the Democratic side. All right, so presidential politics this week. It's going to be incredible. All right, today I want to get into the Biden economy and the global economy because it looks like we're heading into a recession. We're going to be joined by a real expert, financier Philip Patrick, so hang tight for that. Also today I want to deal with the debt limit. Joe Biden is playing with fire. Again, this is what communists do. If you're, if you're intent on destroying the country, of course you would want to pull the ultimate trigger and send the country into default. Oh, Monica, that's crazy. Really? Look at what he's done so far. If you wanted to destroy the country, you would literally not do anything different than what Joe Biden has done. And just when you think that they've done all the damage they can... They pull more tricks out of their communist bag. So we're going to get into that here in just a couple of minutes. But first, the Monica memo. The great sorting is underway. Americans are still free to move about the country. Who knows how long that's going to last, right? Because communists never let you move. And in fact, in the UK and other parts of Europe, right now they're testing out 15-minute cities where they are blocking your mobility. They're doing this for the top line reason is climate change, green agenda. We can't have you too long in your car. No long family trips for you. And also power and control. And it's a way to break your spirit as well as just transforming all of these countries. But for the time being here in America, we still have the ability and the right to move about the country. So while we can still move about the country, we are. And where we're moving tells a very important story of how this country is changing. These are organic demographic shifts happening because, for the most part, of politics. Capital goes where it's treated well, right? So do people. And people in blue cities and states have had enough of communism. High taxes and regulation, high crime and tons of chaos, bad schools, government corruption, homelessness and drug use, stagnant economies, no job opportunities, big brother crushing them, no freedom. They're tired of it, and they're voting with their feet. This is a mass exodus out of the communist states 
into freer states. Let's zero down into the heartbreaking decline of blue cities from coast to coast. America's cities have always been the crown jewel of America. New York City, Chicago, Miami, right? Uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco. You kidding me? America's great cities have dotted our country, driven economic growth, driven the culture, just shined like a beacon for the rest of the world. I mean, there's a reason why Ellis Island is in New York. People wanted to come to the great free land of opportunity would go through New York first, and they were dazzled by it. Dazzled by it. The French gave us the Statue of Liberty, which is where? Oh, in the harbor of New York City. So these shining beacons on a hill for people who longed for freedom everywhere and just had stars in their eyes when they thought about America's great cities and did everything they could to try to get to them. Well, these blue cities are falling apart. They're in collapse. And it's because of communist leadership over many decades. Certainly now we're at a tipping point, just as we're at a tipping point for the rest of the country. The Census Bureau just released its 2022 city population estimates just last Friday. And the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, they've got a demographer there named Wendell Cox, who has reported on some of what the report actually shows, and it's really grim, okay? The largest blue cities continued their absolute collapse in population that began during the insane lockdowns. And again, with COVID, we were all dealing with an unprecedented virus, so nobody knew how the virus was going to behave. Was it going to wipe out a million people in one day? Was it just a more extreme flu? Nobody knew, right? So the, the administration, the Trump administration, and I was there at Treasury, took a look at what China was doing, just like the rest of the world, and the virus originated there. China locked down almost immediately. Cities like Shanghai, 40 million people locked down. And so the natural assumption was, well, since the virus started there, the Chinese must know something about what's going on than we do. And so if they're shutting down, I guess we should too. Now, in retrospect, that was a huge mistake and a giant setup. But nobody knew it at the time. And so Western leaders did not want blood on their hands. They didn't want have millions of deaths on their hands. And so they said, well, better safe than sorry. We've got a lockdown. Now, the blue states kept the lockdowns going far longer than the free states. And that's one of the reasons for this big population move. But at the beginning, the lockdowns made sense, at least for a period of time. Now, remember, it was supposed to be 15 days to slow the spread, and that turned into three years, a lot of which were locked down in this country. So people who at a certain point, say mid-summer of 2020, when reality began to set in, and it seemed like, okay, the worst of the pandemic was beginning to be over, and certain red states were starting to be open back up, people in blue cities and states were like, what, what, why are we still locked down? 
Why are we still under all of these uh, rules and regulations that were increasingly making no sense? So here is what actually has happened here. In 2021, so we're talking about from July of 2020 to June of 2021, and that was the main year of the COVID pandemic, households fled from the largest and densest cities to escape the crazy lockdowns and try to take advantage of the freer cities and states outside of their, you know, their blue jurisdictions and to take advantage of remote and hybrid work arrangements, right? So they began to move and they started moving in droves. But in the last year, 2022, of post-COVID America, the exodus from big blue cities did not stop or reverse course. In fact, the out-migration from these places continued in a really dramatic way. This new census data reveals that among the 10 largest cities, the cities in red states, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, and San Antonio, added population, while the largest blue states continued to lose population, although it was at a slower pace than it was at the height of the pandemic, but still hemorrhaging people. New York's population shrunk by 123,000 people. That is a staggering number of people. Chicago lost 33,000. Philly lost 22,000. Los Angeles lost 16,000. And San Jose lost 10,000 in just one year. But Monica, what about San Francisco? Oh, good question. San Francisco has lost 7.5% of its population in just two years, 2020 to 2022. So what you have here is communism, high taxes, uh, high regulation, terrible schools, high crime with very little punishment for the criminals. So they become repeat criminals, obviously, because they're getting away with it. Open-air drug use, powerful public unions, corrupt political leadership, homelessness out of control, crime crazy. All of this is a cancer that is causing people to flee from Blue City America. And they are turning these cities into shitholes. I'm sorry, but they are. And they're doing it all on purpose. They want as many people dependent on government as possible. And so they're destroying their own towns in order to achieve that goal. And by the way, another critical point about this is if America's crown jewels, our cities are in collapse, it drags down the rest of the country. The country goes into collapse when our great cities are in collapse. You see, it's a domino effect. Do you see what they're doing? Precisely. And it's only a matter of time before all of this rot enters red states. That's what we have to guard against. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I've got more on this, and I just have a couple of thoughts on this debt ceiling Uh, because Biden and uh, Speaker McCarthy are meeting again this afternoon, talk about the debt ceiling negotiations, um, apparently going nowhere fast. 
So we'll deal with that on the other side. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, welcome back. Um, In a couple of minutes here, I want to delve more deeply into the Biden economy and also the global economy, where we are and where we're going. And we're going to be joined by financier Philip Patrick, who is brilliant on all of this stuff. So you're not going to want to miss that conversation because a recession is coming. Most people agree. A recession is clearly on the way. So how do you prepare for it? So we're going to walk you through all of this and tell you how best to prepare. Um, And I also want to get to this debt limit thing here in a second. Um, First, though, what we were talking about in the opening segment about the mass out-migration from deep blue cities and deep blue states to freer areas. Guys, this is a stampede. And the result is that the red states are getting redder and the blue states are getting bluer. It's the great sorting People are shaking out across the country. It's like the country's being sifted. You know how you sift flour? This is what's happening. People are being sifted. They're sifting themselves. And the ramifications of this will be huge. Blue states are losing their tax base. High net worth individuals, businesses of all sizes, whole industries are leaving and taking their tax money with them. So these states are getting poorer and more desperate. But instead of reversing course with things like lower taxes, less regulation, and law and order, they're doubling down on communism. Because they're communists, and this is what they do. This is not a giant mystery here, guys, all right? This is what they do. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, the red states are getting richer and more robust. More people 
going into these red states, bringing more jobs and businesses, more tax revenue coming in. So there's more dynamism in these places all around. People in blue states are generally more miserable. Not everybody, but as a general matter. And people in red states are generally happier. It's not hard to figure out why. It's called freedom. This is a soft civil war of sorts. Instead of north versus south, it's red versus blue. And it's still brother against brother, but with mobility instead of muskets. And it will continue until it breaks. Because at some point, the blue states will lean even more heavily on the prosperous red states for money for their bloated budgets. And the red states will say no. No more. The Democrats in these deep blue areas will want Washington to continue to bail them out, which again means the richer red states and the the productive, prosperous people generating strong economies in those states. Okay? So when we think Washington, that's you and me. Okay? That's our tax money. And there will be more pressure on the Fed to keep printing more money to pay for all of this insanity. And if you think inflation is bad now, just wait. Wait until you see what hyperinflation is all about. So ultimately, we're going to hit a wall here. And I don't know how it's going to play out, but it's not going to be pretty. I can promise you that. We're headed for a real collision, a political collision, an economic collision. Really, this soft civil war is going to hit a wall here at some point because none of this is sustainable. All right, when we come back, speaking of the economic collision uh, that we're facing, we're going to speak with Philip Patrick, who's going to join us here in just a moment to tell us what's up and how we can all guard against what's about to go down. All right, first though, guys, you know, got to stay healthy in all of these wars. And I know it can be really hard to eat healthy when you're so busy, whether you're traveling, taking care of the kids, daily hustle, listening to this podcast. I know it can be very hard to get the daily recommended vegetables and fruits in your diet. That's why I take Field of Greens and I love it. I really do. I love it. It is delicious and it's doing the job. Field of Greens is whole organic fruits and vegetables. It's not a watered-down supplement, and it's backed by a better health promise. Each ingredient in Field of Greens was scientifically chosen to support vital organs like heart, lungs, and kidney health. Others support my immune system, blood pressure, metabolism, and healthy weight loss. So let me get you started with 15% off. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. Like me, you'll probably look and feel healthier fast and have way more energy like I do. But the best proof will be at your next checkup when your doctor says, hey, whatever you're doing is working, keep it up. To get 15% off, visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com. We're coming right back.
Well, as we talk about all the time on this show, the economy is going to be likely the number one issue for next year's elections. So where are we in the Biden economy? Where are we in the global economy and where are we going? Joining us today is someone who can help answer all of these questions and more. Philip Patrick is a longtime financier and precious metal specialist who is with our original and much appreciated sponsor, Birch Gold Group, and he joins us now. Philip, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. It's an honor. Well, it's absolutely wonderful to have you here. And like I said, I am so grateful for Birch Gold's support of this program. You guys have been just extraordinary, and I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're kind to say that. Well, and you are certainly in the right business these days in gold and other precious metals. So I want to get to that here in a moment. But it is good to have you here today, Philip, to walk us through what is happening now with the U.S. economy. There are a lot of things coming at us. And as we saw with a recent crisis with some regional banks, things can happen very fast. Let's start with your overall sense of where the Biden economy is right now. Look, things are messy to say the least, right? Uh, You know, you look at most of the economic indicators and they're ringing. Uh, The the administration doesn't yet have a handle on inflation. Uh, We saw a 0.4% increase in April month over month, which was four times higher than March's increase. So, you know, inflation now starting to tick up again. And of course, official inflation is touted at 4.9%. People feel it a lot more than that. And actually, if we use the Fed's own inflation calculation from the 80s, it puts it at about 13% today. So we still have problems on the inflationary front. But there are other issues. We've mentioned debt. Debt at the moment, a big, big problem, over 31.5 trillion and growing. We currently have the most debt ever held by any nation in history. Um, So things are looking very, very tough out there. We don't have many tools at the moment to combat the issue. We've got volatility all around. So it's a tough climate. The Biden economy is looking disastrous at the moment. You know, you talk about inflation and the debt, and I want to break down both of those issues because they're critical and the American people need to understand what we're facing here. So coming out of the uh, Trump years and the pandemic, which was an unprecedented global economic shutdown, we were, and I was at the Treasury Department at the time, we were overseeing trying to get the American people through the acute period of the crisis. But once we had started to open up, we had the fastest economic recovery from any crisis on record in that last year of the Trump uh, presidency. And inflation was was negligible. It was at like 1. 1.5, 1. 1.8%. I mean, there was no inflation. Even when we were coming roaring back, Biden and the Democrats assume power in January of 21 and inflation begins to really take off. And I remember at the time, Philip, you, me, and there were others screaming back at Biden and Powell and Yellen saying, what are you talking about that inflation is going to be transitory? Y'all are spending an unfathomable amount of money, trillions of dollars with every new bill. So we knew the lesson of the the late 70s and early 80s that once inflation becomes entrenched, it is very difficult and very painful and very long to dislodge it. 
And they, they kept lying to our faces that it was a temporary situation. And now, of course, it, it, we know it now. It is not true. But at the time, the Fed was also buying into that fake narrative that it was right. transitory and that they didn't have to move in terms of raising rates. We were all screaming at them to do it. It took them, what, a year and a half after inflation Correct. started to climb, to climb to do it. So now the, the Fed is in a box of its own making. Talk about what they're doing. You are absolutely, and I think your summary was was absolutely spot on. And I think if we jumped to action quicker, we wouldn't have had to raise rates at the pace that we did, and it would have allowed the economy some time to sort of work it out. They didn't. They reacted late. As you said, they lied to the American people. Look, you know, it was obvious to almost anybody that spending at the scale that we were was going to lead to inflation. There's a guy called Alan Meltzer. He was a Federal Reserve scholar at Carnegie Mellon. This guy studied central bank policy his whole life. He summarized this well. He said, never in history has a country that financed big budget deficits with large amounts of central bank money avoided incredibly high levels of inflation. It's unavoidable. It was very clear, and it was a big misstep on behalf of the administration and the Federal Reserve. And now we're playing catch up. You mentioned the debt as well. And I think this is really important to sort of factor in because what I think it's done is is restricted the Fed's ability to even combat inflation. If we remember the 70s, which you mentioned quite rightly, very similar circumstances today, inflation was raging aggressively from the from the 70s until the 80s, and nobody could get a handle on it until Paul Volcker stepped into the Fed. Volcker had to get very aggressive to stamp it out. He put the federal funds rate double the rate of inflation. And it was those aggressive moves that ultimately brought inflation down. And within two years, we dealt with it. And he set the US up, in my mind, for two decades of boom. The problem we have today, even if Volcker came back, even if we had somebody with the political will to deal with the issues, he couldn't do what he did back then because of the debt. U.S. national debt under Volcker was a trillion dollars. Today, mm-hmm. over 31 and a half trillion, right? If, mm-hmm. if the interest rate got to 15% within a short space of time, right, as new treasuries are, are issued at, at higher rates, the federal government will be in a position where they're paying 15% annually on $30 trillion. It's four and a half trillion dollars in debt. So we couldn't afford it. So we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I think the Fed have an almost impossible job, not to mention the effect that raising rates had on the banks. That's another issue. So I think we're we're in a very tough situation without the necessary tools to pull ourselves out. And of course, we're the ones that in the end are holding the bag and have to foot the bill and experience the economic pain because you've got elected folks who are and have been completely irresponsible on both sides of the aisle for many decades, spending like drunken sailors with no care in the world. And then you've got unelected bureaucrats in the government and unelected people at the Fed that are literally supposed to be watching the store, Philip, and they have just printed their way our way into oblivion. And so those of us, the us deplorables out here, working around the clock, making this country go, we're the ones left, you know, having to deal with the, the fallout and the consequences. 
it, it's it's absolutely correct. And and you know, remember when when the administration were talking about bailing out the banks? Well, it's not going to be individuals. It's not going to be the public. It's going to be the banks that do it. And it never works out that way. If banks are forced to pay for something, who pays at the end of the day? It's it's us, right? We pay in the form of higher fees and everything else. It always comes down to the individual, right? And as you rightly point out, we've got these bureaucrats there. And, and you're correct to say as well, you know, it's been on both sides of the aisle. And for me, it's this short-term political thinking, right? Let's print money, let's kick the problem down the road, and let's let the next guy deal with it. Well, the problem is we've been doing that for too long. We've created a problem now that is it is significant, to say the least, and it's bleeding into other areas. Look at what's happening geopolitically. We've got BRICS nations around the world distancing from US dollars. We're seeing a global trend of de-dollarization. I think the administration, through a series of missteps, has put our, our position as global reserve currency under threat. These things are very significant. And quite frankly, nations do not come back from that. We're at a precipice here, and we need some good leadership to bring ourselves back. Otherwise, we're close to the point of no return. I want to get to the dollar issue with with you in a second here, Philip. Mm-hmm. But first, the 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 box that the Fed has put itself in. I want to ask you this question: There is an inherent tension between the Fed out there trying to mop up all of this excess money sloshing around the system by raising rates, and the Democrats who keep spending and spending and spending, right? So even if going into an election year next year, even if the Democrats don't get another spending bill through, there is still hundreds of billions of dollars that they've already passed sitting in the pipeline just waiting to be spent. So all they have to do is throw a switch and the money that they've already passed and allocated begins flowing into, I don't know, infrastructure, whatever they, they yeah. you know, gear it for. So how does that tension then get resolved? The Fed is out here trying to squeeze the money supply, but there's so much yeah. money already in the system and still coming. How do you square that circle? Well, the the reality is you don't, right? And that's why I say the Fed have a very, very difficult job. Look, they started quantitative tightening. They started pulling money out of the economy. Suddenly we see the banks fail and they're injecting money back in. So you're quantitative tightening on one hand, quantitative easing on on the other, and you end up going nowhere. It, It works against the Fed's job. And quite frankly, I think this 2% target that the Fed have, given the situation, given the lack of tools, seems to be a pipe dream, at least for the foreseeable future. It's a very, very difficult job. And my concern is at this point, are we already at the point of no return? You look at the fundamentals for the country and it doesn't look good. Jet debt to GDP, a disaster. The amount of money that's being printed, inflation. I mean, it's like whack-a-mole. You deal with a problem and more seem to rear their head. It's, It's messy. I mean, when we talk about the debt, too, closing in on $32, $33 trillion, I mean, this, these are unfathomable amount of money and, and numbers that we're talking about. And this year, because Biden and the Democrats have spent so much, like drunken sailors, we're looking at a $2 trillion annual deficit. Are you kidding me, Philip? 
it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And at a time like this, this is when we should be running surpluses. This is when we pull the belt buckle tight. Uh, and, and the administration don't seem to recognize that. And that's why this, this idea of just, you know, blank checks to spend without being questioned. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. But this is our, you know, the debt issue for me and everything that's tied into that with our dollar, global faith in the dollar. These are the biggest issues longer term uh, and, and, and they're starting to rear their head. All right, Philip, I'm going to ask you to please stand by. There's much more I want to get to with you. But first, we've got to hit this quick break. And I'm going to promote your company right now, Birch Gold. You know, guys, I mean, we're having this conversation with Philip Patrick, which is so important. And there's one asset, one that has withstood famine, wars, political, economic upheaval, you name it, dating all the way back to biblical times. And that asset is gold. And you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Philip's company, Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand throughout the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does a dollar have? Philip and I are talking about this. We're going to deal with it coming up. Protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. So text Monica to 989-898 to get your free info kit on gold. Again, text Monica to 989-898. And we're coming right back with more. Okay, we're back with more on the economy with Philip Patrick. So let's talk about the dollar and the precarious position it's in now. After World War II, the U.S. dollar, U.S. was dominant. We experienced a major post-war economic boom. And because yep. we were so dominant, it was the, the dollar was the default for the global reserve currency. Now America's enemies, led by the CCP, led by China, are coming together to challenge that. They would like to replace the dollar as the global reserve currency. That is extremely dangerous. And the other part of this equation that very few people talk about is that oil is traded in dollars. So all we would need is Saudi Arabia, and they've already begun to say, hey, we're open to other currencies to trade oil in. If Saudi Arabia pulls the trigger and says, we're going to start trading oil in in various other currencies, not just the dollar, um, you're going to have an economic collapse and implosion the likes we probably haven't seen since the Great Depression. Am I wrong about that? I, I do not think so. I, I think you're absolutely spot on. And, and that's why I say this for me is, is the biggest issue we have. And yes. I think, again, it boils down to political missteps. So I think there's two things fueling this, this move. One is domestic policy, right? We've been printing money like it's going out of fashion. Since the start of the pandemic alone, the dollar has lost 15% of its buying power. Even if you are a friendly nation, right? Look, 
We know the effect that has on us here. We consume dollars domestically. We see the buying power of that disappear, but we're not the only people that consume dollars. Friendly nations around the world holding trillions of dollars in reserve that they use for trade, right? The US Federal Reserve printing money on the scale that they are creates a problem for, for other nations' reserves. What are we seeing on the back of that? We're seeing huge moves to gold. Last year, 2022, was the biggest year of central bank gold buying ever in history, right? And it's not a coincidence. We're seeing de-dollarization. Last year, US dollars held by central governments at 30-year lows. So I think domestic policy has fueled it as well as foreign policy. And I think particularly how Biden weaponized our dollar against Russia with sanctions, right? For me, did Russia deserve sanctions? Probably. Were sanctions effective against Russia? Not particularly. And I think the reason being Russia had been preparing, right? Since 2014, when they initially invaded Crimea, they paid down their national debt to almost nothing and massively boosted gold reserves. Look at what happened when we sanctioned Russia. Initially, the the, the ruble plummeted, but then it stabilized. Putin pegged the ruble to the price of gold. It stabilized and at one point moved to 30-year highs. The point being, sanctions were not hugely effective against Russia. They don't have a diversified economy. They're essentially a gas station they could withstand. What was more interesting was watching China. At that time, China was circling Taiwan in the South China Sea. It felt like invasion could be imminent. We sanction Russia. You see China start to move away immediately. As you say, they go to the Saudis, have successful conversations to try and negotiate oil contracts in, in Chinese yuan. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, the BRICS nations mm -hmm. team up along with what looks like 20 other nations now um, to, to, to start trading outside of dollars bilaterally. Now, does that mean, you know, within two years, the US dollar will lose global reserve currency to China? No, I don't think so. The Chinese yuan is not a free-flowing currency. It has issues. But if we see even a 20 to 30% reduction in global dollar-denominated transactions, that alone will have a significant impact of the dollar. And I think, look, these nations always had an issue with our status as global reserve, but to change the system is problematic. What I think we did is we forced that move and we've escalated the inevitability. But as you pointed out, or, or at least alluded to, Nations don't come back from a loss of global reserve. After the UK lost it to the US in 1946, the pound sterling has lost over 97% of its relative buying power. It wow. is significant. Wow. So. Wow. And I mean, once again, the average American will experience the brunt of the pain. Not the wealthy, <laughs> not the globalist ruling class, you and me and everybody listening on this show. That, that is one of many things that keep me up at night. Philip, but the other yep. big one that I want to ask you about is th this, it seems like, inexorable move toward a central bank digital currency. And that really is going to be a huge threat because it, a cashless society where your money is not, you won't have like a tangible $10 bill in your hand. Your money will be software, right? It'll be like yeah. a number sitting in a piece of software at the Fed. 
I mean, the, the ultimate goal is to get rid of all banks, and so the Fed is your bank, uh, with the ability to turn your money on and off, to wipe you out in a second, to shut you down so you can't buy or sell. Your economic freedom will disappear. Can you talk to us a little bit about CBDCs and, and how far along the road we are to that? Look, it, it feels like the direction that we're heading in, and it feels fairly imminent. Now, look, I don't have an inside track on this. What I can say is this. It suits government interests, right? Look at the Biden administration. They've been trying to beef up the IRS, trying to track down every $600 payment. I think a central bank currency or so or digital currency controlled by the central government, of course, makes that very easy and it gives them a lot of control. So for me, it is the direction that we're heading and it doesn't appear to be the US in isolation, the, the UK government, of course, we know what they're doing over in China. It is a frightening proposition because, as you say, it gives them a lot of control, but it could allow them to control where we spend our money, what we spend our money on. And that alone is frightening. We're heading sort of down the route of the Chinese government if we go that direction. What I will say is the American public and not the Chinese public, right? And I think that at some point, if this is the direction that, that the government decide to go, they're going to have to sell it to the people. And my concern is this. The only times we've seen currency adjustments in the past, the way that they have been sold to the public is by significant devaluation of the existing currency. So for me, whenever currency is up in the air, gold is the place to be. Typically, you don't want to be in the existing currency because any transition could be problematic. But it's frightening, Monica, and it yep. feels like the direction that these guys want yep. to push, and it feels global in nature. So, so it's concerning. So scary. Digital currency, digital ID, one world government, we're all headed uh, in that direction. So uh, a final couple of questions for you, Philip, before we let you go. You are in the gold business at Birch Gold. Um, yes. Central banks around the world are buying up gold like crazy, including the CCP, China. Yes. What are they seeing that perhaps the rest of us aren't? Look, it, it boils down to currency, right? And I think what's happening right now is we're seeing a shift. I think friendly nations, I look, I think nations around the world understand something, and that is that at some point there's going to be an adjustment of global reserve currency. This trend of de-dollarization is gaining ground significantly. Now, what nations around the world don't know is what will replace the dollar, right? That today is in question. So how does one individual or country hedge their exposure, they do it with gold. The reason that gold is such a hedge on currency is that gold and the dollar have a directly inverse relationship. And it literally means when the dollar goes down, gold goes up. To understand why, gold is and has always been a store of buying power. You can go back very far to see it, right? In biblical times, one ounce of gold bought 400 loaves of bread, Today, at a little less than $5 a loaf, it does the same thing. The idea is that gold doesn't really fluctuate. What fluctuates, in, in terms of buying power, that is, what fluctuates and it fluctuates daily is the dollar's value. So essentially, if dollars become weaker, we need more weaker dollars to buy the same ounce, hence that inverse relationship. So 
in in a climate where the dollar has lost 15% of its purchasing power in just a few years, in a climate where nations around the world are clambering to distance from the dollar, we can assume if that take shape, the dollar will lose value. How do you hedge against that with an asset that's contrarian? Central governments around the world see it. And what I tell people all the time is, listen, you can listen to what I say or don't, follow the smart money. And there is not much smarter money out there than central banks, particularly when it comes to currency. If anyone understands the direction it's going, it's central banks. And if they're buying gold, that same premise applies to us just at a much smaller scale. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, gold has been an asset with us from the beginning of time. It's a hard um, asset. It is a tangible asset and it will never let you down. I mean, gold does fluctuate in price like all commodities do, but gold will not let you down. And you guys hear me talk about birch gold all the time. Philip Patrick, who's been kind enough to join us today with his insights, is with birch gold. And right now, I mean, it, it is, it's the hedge, right? It's the hedge that everybody should be looking to. If you want to learn more, just text Monica to 989-898 and the good folks over at Birch Gold will help you out. They'll send you a free info kit. And I'm telling you, you got to educate yourself because it, we think that we're going to be okay, but I think the storm is still brewing. I don't think we've seen, you know, the eye of the storm quite yet. So you got to be prepared and educate yourself. Philip Patrick, I am so thankful for you and Birch Gold and grateful that you joined me here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Monica. It was, it was fantastic. Thank you very much. A great pleasure, Philip. Thank you so much. All the best. Okay, that's going to do it for me today on this Monday. Thanks so much for being here and for checking out our great sponsors. We're going to deal with presidential politics on both sides of the aisle coming up later in the week. You're not going to want to miss these conversations, I promise you. Tell all your friends, family, coworkers, they need to be listening to this show to know what is happening. Be here or be square. (laughs) All right, guys, have a great start to your week, and I will see you right back here on Wednesday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.